Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Well, hello there, and you join us here today to talk about one of the most controversial brands in the world and why it's so controversial. This is Hublot, and why do people hate it so much? If you're looking to sell a watch, especially a Hublot, you can get a quote over at watchfinder.com. So uh, Tom and I continue our ongoing beef. Um, he's one side of the tracks, I'm the other, and we don't get along. So we need someone to join that conversation in harmony. And we've brought a special guest along with us today. This is Mr. Andrew McCutcheon of Time and Tide and About Effing Time fame, and also a big Hublot fan. How are you doing, Andrew? Oh, I'm not sure about the last part, but I'm de- I, the first two are true. <laughs> but I just, I'm, I'm more than happy to join this party because we've it's come up recently on both platforms and it's always spicy and we like that <laughs> and uh we put all of your links in the description below so anyone who has been hiding under a rock and doesn't know who you are and what you do check out all of those links <laughs> go give them all a click thank you very much tom hello um as, as a relative newbie compared to us in the watch industry you have probably got some vibes on hublot so far like what's what's the word on the street when it comes to the watch brand hublot <clears throat> yeah, my initial impression as something of a just a casual observer of the watch industry was these ones are more expensive <laughs> and don't ask any questions. Um, I guess I, I always assumed it was like the correlation between the big, bold design that only the very wealthy could pull off. You know, only really, really rich people were crazy enough to be able to pull off this watch. I don't know. Yeah, that, that was the, the general vibe I got my first impression. Andrew, I can't help but notice that you are wearing a Hublot, so I imagine that your perspective is slightly more biased. Why don't you give us just a flavour, before we dive in too deep, a flavour of the global perspective on Hublot from your point of view? Oh, look, I think all of the the ways that Hublot has been represented and all of the things that they're known for and perhaps, you know, I suppose if there's any negative view of the brand, it's it still lingers from when the brand launched, which was they're a relatively new brand in the scheme of things. You know, we're talking 30 years old, 25 years old for the Big Bang. So in the scheme of, you know, watch brands that have multiple centuries of history, there's still a bit of a, you know, rebel child in the mix. And really their their launch proposition in the modern day is pretty indefensible. But it's not, it was not the modern day at the time it launched. Like awareness of movements, awareness of uh, cost of production, even how fatigued or uh, fresh the concept of ambassadors was was completely different back then. So, what was what the brand did by bringing these bold designs with ebauche movements and ambassadors to us now? This all seems very gauche and very 
uh, out of step. But when this watch first launched with a strong design as well, that was vaguely reminiscent maybe of, of other designs. And again, this was a, a different period of watch literacy for most people. You've got to consider that those elements were, they just led to an explosive uh, success that, but a lot of the criticisms of the brand still relate to those first launch elements. And in fact, the brand is a very different brand now on all fronts in terms of how is the movement compared to others? Uh, you know, what has the amb ambassador strategy turned into from what it began, which was just pulling the biggest names you could. And then, yeah, just overall price proposition and awareness. People are now aware that the design of the Big Bang is reminiscent of a, another well-known watch. But 30 years ago, it was just bold design looks kind of cool. So you've really got to look at moments in time to for this to make sense because all these things were super fresh when the watch first launched under, well, launched properly under the uh, stewardship of Jean-Claude Biver and Direction. Whereas now we are in a radically different time and the brand is having to sort of answer to all of these components and, and they are doing that and we're going to see that the brand evolves into a much harder to criticise uh, brand in, in the very near future. Well, let's rewind a little bit back to 1980, to the, the founding of Hublot, to look at some of that origin story. I don't think anyone will be surprised to learn that it was founded by an Italian man, a guy called Carlo Crocco, <laughs> which is just like... The best Italian name ever. You can imagine him right now. Um, but the, the creation of the original Hublot watch, well, Hublot means porthole in French. Portal, yeah. And we all remember what other watch was based on a porthole. Um, Tom, from your perspective, looking at the shape of Hublot, it hasn't evolved a huge amount since 1980 to now. It still kind of bases around that same porthole vibe. Do you think there is a world in which Hublot can evolve away from feeling a little bit like a copycat brand? I don't know. I think everyone's got their own Royal Oak, hasn't they? Most brands have tried to emulate it in some way. I don't think it's a crime to have a watch that looks like a Royal Oak. And I remember in 2005 when the Big Bang and the whole art of fusion happened with uh, Jean-Claude Beaver at the helm. It was an exciting moment. Um, Andrew, you've, you've experienced many launches around uh, Jean-Claude Beaver. Do you remember the Big Bang coming out and the vibe it had when it when it did? It was just epic. And it was probably because this is the grandmaster of, of hype. When we talk about hype in a modern context, this is like he's Neil Young to grunge. Jean-Claude Biver is to hype. He is the, the grandfather. He will never be beaten for like I remember I was working at a watch uh, at a custom publication called Fine Time for the Hourglass, like a, a watch publication in, in 2005 when the watch was launched um, or a couple of years after its launch. And it was, the advertising for it was a full page and the watch was just enormous and it had this, this taking the industry by storm vibe. The fact that it was a Valju 7750 selling for even at that time like 15,000 Australian dollars I mean, A, I didn't even, who knew what a Valju 7750 was at that point? Mm -hmm. But you, this was not even in the equation. And in my opinion, what you said, Tom, is, is absolutely spot on. Maybe once upon a time, this would have been a Royal Oak copycat or something that, that leaned a little too heavily on, on that design, even though Carlo Croco's design has some integrity next to the Royal Oak. But um, I, I think there are now so many watches that, 
that copy it so much more one to one that the Big Bang, like I'm, I'm wearing this Big Bang 42 white ceramic at the moment. This doesn't look anything like a Royal Oak from because no. it's round. Mm. The, the bezel yeah. is round. And if we're talking about you know, mimicking and aping that watch. There are 500 models that stand before the Big Bang. So I actually think the Big Bang succeeded through this mega hype launch of huge, epic, sort of monolithic advertisements everywhere for the for the watch that made it look larger than life. Um, and all those things about, you know, having this insane list of ambassadors at launch it succeeded in making this. I would argue that it, it, it deserves a, an icon status in in the recent era of watchmaking, and I think it's recognisably from fifty paces. This is this really couldn't be any other watch, and I think that's a a pretty good measure of a successful model launch. And it's it's harder and harder to do to create a model that's recognisable across the room. So I think the Big Bang probably deserves the icon status. But again, the fact that it launched with a, a Valjoux seven seven five zero at those prices, it's it's amazing to think about now. But it was a different time. It was a very different time, and I recall that really the idea of movements needing to be in house. It's a fairly recent one. It's like a lot of things that feel like it's tradition. Actually, tradition is usually fairly recent. And at the time, there were plenty of watches that had bought in modified movements at higher price points, even from the likes of Breguet and Blancpain. Um, and Hublot kind of got singled out for that a little bit. Um, the art of fusion was where it all turned around with uh, Jean-Claude Beaver, uh, the introduction of various different materials. And I know that Hublot started off and introduced the first rubber strap with a gold watch, which is now, that's really big with Rolex and a lot of other brands. <laughs> now they all do it. Now they all do it, yeah. So so there is something to be credited there. But they have other things. They use various different carbon fibres and ceramics in different colours, uh, sapphire, even the first sapphire bracelet. Um, Tom, when you've seen some of these recent uh, press releases coming out of what Hublot's done next, and they're big and bold and colourful, how does it make you feel? Scared. Uh, no, it... <laughs> It's it, it's fine, isn't it? It's Come like, here. Do you need a hug, Tom? You need a hug, Tom. Come on. Come here. Come over here. Yeah. That watch is too colourful. Um, who's it for? Um, it offends your delicate British sensibilities. Where meanwhile, the, yeah. the Aussies are like... Does it come any bigger, mate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's... Actually, that's... I think that's true. It's like... Um, not about my delicate... English sensibilities but I think it's like I think people worry too much about uh being too loud or garish or something but I you know I, I saw someone in passing the other day wearing a big metal skeletonized watch monstrosity I couldn't catch what it was but it just looked fine like you know he was just in jeans and t-shirt with this big hulking mechanical thing on his wrist and it was like yeah awesome and I think a lot of people struggle with the fact that um, sometimes it's not for you it's for someone else and that's fine um, and and that's just how I view it it's like I, I, I can't see the appeal in that personally I don't think I'll be able to comfortably wear that but I imagine someone could look cool wearing it so Tom in regard even the sizing has come down I'm not into I would never in any wildest nightmare wear a 44 or 45 or 
even bigger hublot. This is just never going to happen. So it yeah. took them releasing sort of a ladies' version. <laughs> <laughs> or a, in their yeah. mind, a feminine version of the Big Bang, which is still one of the biggest watches I own. It's a 42 millimeter watch. Yeah, This is perfect for me. So everything, all of the claims against them, as in gauche watches, just impossibly large, you know, poor movements, overpriced. They, these are all actually, you know, very much in, uh, this is not the brand really that presents today. And my thinking that I would, and by the way, this isn't owned by me. This is something I've worn through summer. Uh, I actually wore it for a trip and then just decided that I wasn't done with it. So I've kept it on. Um, but I would absolutely consider this because it's a manufacturer flyback chronograph for what, 19,000 pounds or whatever it is around that price. Obviously not a cheap watch, but also um, every journalist I hand this to pushes the pushes and says oh that's nice that's really oh you know that's crisp that's a crisp flyback action it, it lands bang on zero bang on 12 yeah. so you know this is uh again this is come into my zone because the movement's great as in the this unico manufacturer flyback chronograph um the materials are, are fresh for summer they're the only sort of white ceramic watch that work in this black um stormtrooper type vibe uh, and it's 42 mil with a lug, a lug to lug well under 50. So that's kind of my zone. So even the oversized ghost stuff, it's, well, you know, that, that's definitely continuing and that's part of the brand, but just quite, quietly they've been evolving away into something that's harder and harder to actually point a pitchfork at. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Andrew, you mentioned in passing that you have some sweeping changes that you would like to make to Hublot. Do you care to share what some of those are? <laughs> oh, I knew you'd ask me that. <laughs> yes, you thought yes, I forgot. Yes, I will share them, and and I do. I hope this. Uh, look, I would love this to make an impact, but these there needs to be no solita movements in this catalog. So, classic fusion is a really lovely. Like this is a very aesthetically pleasing, much more reasonably sized, much less alpha male uh, pillar for Hublot. But that has generally been the pillar that's had, I would say, the movements that don't quite match up to the pricing if i can put it nicely um i've actually been at zenith this week and i i played this game where i said hey guys um i've got this idea that i if i was at hublot i would replace all of their time and date models or time models with zenith elite movements is that possible from a supply point of view and they took a little time to answer and then said we could do that we 100% could do that today. So I have unblocked what might have been the blockage of, oh, we'd love to, but there's a problem with supply and Zenith, Zenith is already supplying, you know, movements to other brands and we'd have to join the queue. No, there's no problem there. So we can do that. That's number one. Number two, <laughs> we, we definitely need to refresh the ambassador strategy. <laughs> there, we're, we're resting on laurels here with some retired champions and I think Usain Bolt gets a pass because he's still the fastest man to ever be recorded. So Your new buddy. He hasn't yeah. been my new buddy. Yep. Uh, <laughs> hi, Usain. I'll see you later, darling. Um, no, he, he's a pass, but we, we really need to recapture the energy of the, the ambassadors that, that lit this brand up in the beginning and also seek some younger audiences with those ambassadors. If I can throw in a suggestion, if we're offering up um, opportunities for Hublot to, to change for the better. I don't think they should have a watch that looks just like a Richard Mille anymore. I think that's too on the nose. 
Yeah, I tend to agree, Andrew. I think the spirit of Big Bang and the Square Bang, you know, they sail pretty close to the wind with with Cartier and Richard Mill. Uh, and especially when the, the Big Bang itself now, I think, is is pretty well recognized as as being singular and, and fairly iconic in itself. So it's it might be pushing the boat out a little far to, to be reaching for shapes that are, are so proprietary. Uh, but again, there, there is a point that we need to uh, unpack, which is that this brand is wildly commercially successful. So whether they're going to take tips from, especially tips around product and, and design, I expect this will be the least listened to part of this this uh, show from the brand because they're like, you know what? We're good. We're, we, we frankly don't know what to do with all the money, so we're good. <laughs> yeah, Tom, um, be it that as it may, this being the least listened to part of the show by Hublo, do you have any little thoughts that you would like to share with them? <laughs> yeah, really. You know, they don't really need to do much else, do they? Uh, they sponsor the football. That's the biggest sport ever <laughs> you know you can take you can take your Wimbledon and your America's Cup no one watches that everyone watches the football that was that was lying vacant that was this virgin land and yeah. don't get me started on this topic uh, Tom because <laughs> Hublot think what you want about them but they are the most successful watch brand sponsorship machine you know, boxing was, these are all proletariat things. Boxing, uh, football, these were not touched by Swiss, institutional Swiss wash brands. Oh, no, no, that's uh, that's for the middle and underclasses. <laughs> it's, Hublot to have taken, cricket, cricket is an enormous sport that is actually aligned with the upper classes in England, but it's, it's aligned with emerging markets, India. Um, it certainly had a huge impact in Australia. So this, again, is... There'd be a degree of bemusement, I think, from Hublot leadership about any vitriol to do with the brand because – but I, I also know know that they don't care. I don't just think that they don't care. I know that they don't care because <laughs> yeah. the, these moves that they've made to sponsor the most watched events in the world uh, is all strategic and it's been unbelievably powerful for them. And to, to be sponsoring the World Cup and then getting yeah. a Big Bang-shaped – um, thing that he holds up, the sign that he holds up, seen by. I mean, they, they sent me a reach yeah. report on the World Cup, and there was just more zeros than page. And there, there is one thing that <laughs> I heard in an industry whisper last week, where someone said to me, "Can you imagine sitting over LVMH watch, watchmaking? You have these critical darlings in Zenith, this brand that can do no wrong with the press, commercially struggling, mm. and you have this brand that can do no right with the press." Critically hated, admonished, you know, vilified, sent to the the edges of the the kingdom, absolutely commercially propping up LVMH watchmaking along with you know some other key brands, and it's just so so funny. Like we need to say that this yeah. is none of this is we're, we're in an echo chamber here. This is who <laughs> we're not listening to this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's a unique sentiment to say that things that are very, very popular are usually generally not enjoyed by people who are kind of at the core niche of the topic. Film, music, whatever, it's always true. So true. Um, yeah. But speaking of outrage, how are we feeling about the Nespresso limited edition Hublot made of recycled capsules and grounds? Oh, look, I, I found this one perplexing. 
uh, I wonder, <laughs> I walk through, I did see it coming though a couple of years out because if you walk into Geneva Airport, you see a lot of co-branding with Nespresso and Hublot. So, but even when I saw the co-branding, I found it curious because the alignment of coffee, like Nespresso is pretty much in every two-star hotel as well as it is in a five. So the the positioning isn't necessarily luxurious. So I found it perplexing because as much as, again, as much as you can hate on their other adjacencies and, and their other partnerships, they're all fairly premium uh, and they're all, they're, there's a, something aspirational about that partnership or that, you know, what, whoever that third party is. I did find this one perplexing because I feel like Nespresso is, is not a brand that necessarily uh, speaks to aspirational lifestyle. No, I don't think it does. I do think Nespresso mm. gets aimed at an aspirational lifestyle, even if it's not actually adopted as part of an aspirational lifestyle. And I suppose the sustainability aspect too is is a part of branding that is very popular at the moment. But perhaps even more confusing would be the not-for-resale collaboration with Hadinki. Um, based on the <laughs> not-for-sale service plastic quartz watch that you get while you're Hublot is in for a service, a new luxury version of that. Tom, thoughts? It's not very effective to have to explain the reason behind something before <laughs> you're shown it. You should sort of be able to identify what they're going for immediately. It's like a joke. If you have to explain why it's funny, it, it isn't funny. <laughs> I had no idea that this was a thing. Maybe you guys did that you would get issued like a plastic quartz um hublot when yours was being serviced just to keep your wrist warm or whatever but i mean the watch i think is really nice i actually like hudinki's gray kind of monochromatic thing and i think it's got a red hand as well it's very 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 really really pleasing like it's a really nice looking hublot um not sure about the text i hate that <laughs> um <laughs> but i suppose it's kind of funny you know it's like it's funny as funny as like modern art is funny do you know what i mean like, <laughs> not, like not really it's a great, i think that's a great example tom yeah an eight thousand dollar joke is that what you're saying tom <laughs> <laughs> yeah i suppose yeah andrew what are your thoughts on this not for resale and, and the general sort of humor that uh hublo seems to be finding in some of these collaborations uh look hedinki definitely did find one of the most sought after and cult-like watches. It's a bit like uh, Lange steel service watches are more often than not stolen with the platinum model that is in for service sort of left as the uh, <laughs> as the hostage that's never going to be recovered. So there's, there's, cult, there's cults around these service watches and the Hublot service watches are actually that's a flex. You turn up with the proper not for sale Hublot service watch at a, at a get together or amongst watch friends and everyone's just like, damn, he wins. It's, it's one of those really niche and cool things. However, the fact that <laughs> there's an $8,000 version, I'm not sure that maintains the coolness because the whole point was it was a, it, it was a way to have a moon swatch version of a Hublot uh, and it, it had cred. So I'm not sure that the joke is still funny when you make it an $8,000 watch. Mm. Uh, and I, yeah, that was my reaction to it. To, to wrap up, Andrew, um, Hublot, does it deserve the hate? Does it really? 
I don't think so, really, like pound for pound. And again, at some point, you've got to look at the materiality of things as opposed to just the, the feeling and the, 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 the vibe on things. Like it is a brand that has uh, a certain, you know, low esteem amongst watch collectors, but that certainly hasn't stopped me from valuing it on its merits as a watch that I'm really enjoying and a watch brand that I think brings a lot of energy. And I mean, the, the industry is so conservative. It is, it is so like Rolex is so dull in terms of what it does every year. Do we really want to cancel out the only Les Enfants Terribles in the mix that's doing something kind of fun and bold and colorful and dynamic and interesting? I don't think so. I think the industry would be, would be worse off without all of the things that Hublot's done, colored ceramic, sapphire uh, watches, precious metal on, on rubber. Do we want to cancel all of that out? That would mean AP wouldn't have that delicious blue ceramic QP that everyone wants. It wouldn't, we wouldn't have the Aquanaut. We, there's a lot of things that are likely to be thrown out with the bathwater if we say that, that Hublot deserves the hate. It doesn't deserve the hate. It deserves more respect than it has. And honestly, if you go and look at these watches now, they don't even resemble what people are hating them for anymore. So that's my answer. Tom, same question, different answer. Well, I totally agree. I, like best and worst doesn't really exist. It's sort of shades of, you know, the subtleties of taste and what you like and what you don't like. And yeah, like Andrew said, we don't want to funnel everything down into homogeny, do we? We want, you know, lots of weird and wonderful things, all different shapes and sizes. And yeah, and Hublot is, you know, one direction that we can go in, that you have to go in if you want you know to be excited by watches so there's yeah there's nothing really to be angry about is there it's just if you don't like it just ignore it get yourself a get yourself a rolex explorer (laughs) (laughs) please don't we don't we don't we don't need any more adrian captain borings out there (laughs) well there you have it we might sound like a broken record but really the advice is do your research buy what you like. Let us know what you think about Hublot down in the comments below. And thank you so much, Andrew McCutcheon, for joining us. All of his links also in the description, Time and Tide about Effing Time. Go check those out. And if you're looking to sell or even buy a Hublot, check out watchfinder.com. Thank you very much. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.